Hey, we've been talking to you the last couple of Sundays about the kinds of prayer. The kinds of prayer. You know, there's more than one kind of prayer. Just like I said to you in the first session, this is the third part of a three-part session on uh, or series on prayer. Is there just one kind of sport? No, there's many. There's golf, there's hockey, there's football, baseball, so on and so forth. Now, do all the rules for one sport apply to all the other sports? No, because imagine applying the rules of hockey to the game of golf. You'd have a... You'd be hip, can you imagine me playing golf with somebody and hip-checking them, you know, into the rough or something, you know, you, you know, or beating them over the head? Have you ever been to a hockey game? Anybody ever been to a hockey game? No? Well, I've never been to one, but I've watched them on television a time or two. They can get pretty rough out there. But the point is, you don't apply the rules of hockey to the rules of golf. You'd have a mess. Same thing is true with prayer. There's different kinds of prayer. And so oftentimes people don't get their prayers answered because they don't realize there's different kinds of prayer. And with the different kinds of prayer, there's rules that govern the different kinds of prayer. And then remember in the, in the seven kinds of prayer, I don't know if we have that, that slide this week. We've, we've had it up there the last couple of weeks. I don't know if we have it or not, but there it is. So we have the prayer of agreement. Uh, it's united or corporate prayer. And uh, then, of course, the prayer of petition or supplication. That's where you're praying for yourself. And then thanksgiving or worship, commitment, dedication, consecration. You know, you could say any one of those three ways. And then intercession is when you pray for, for others, praying in the Spirit and in other tongues. And we'll say a little more about that here in a minute. And then the prayer or declaration of faith. And uh, seven kinds of prayer. And then we noted in the first session, we covered the number seven up there. And I gave a whole session to it uh, a couple of weeks ago on the prayer of faith. And really, it's not a prayer of faith. It's a declaration of, of faith, if you will. And, uh, and, and we showed you that when, when you're dealing with a declaration of faith, it's not directed at the, at the Father. It's directed at the problem. It's directed at the devil. It's directed at the sickness. It's directed at the disease. It's directed at the storm that's headed your way to blow your roof off your house. Uh, it's directed at the problem in the name of Jesus. And remember we taught you that a, a general rule that governs all prayer is that when, when you pray, believe that you receive the thing you're asking for and you'll have it. How many remembers us going over that? And that was in the first session on the prayer or the declaration of faith. And again, it's amazing how many times people, you know, Christians now, you know, they'll fall ill. And they go to pray about the sickness or disease and they'll beg the Father to remove the sickness or the disease. And it's out of line with the Word of God. Uh, When you're dealing with sickness or disease, you speak to the sickness or the disease in the name of Jesus. And that, that way you'll get results, you see, and the sickness will leave. Remember the Bible says in the book of James, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He'll flee from you. And sickness and disease, of course, doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. And, and we went through all that with you in the first session. If you missed out on that, it'll be on the, it's on the internet for free. If you have access to the internet, you can get that. And then last week, of course, we talked about the prayer of agreement and uh, 
the prayer of thanksgiving or worship and then commitment, dedication, consecration. So we covered that last week, so we'll not go through that again. It's on the internet. Uh, but now today, in conclusion, I want to talk to you about the prayer of petition or supplication, which is praying for yourself. Did you know it's completely fine to pray for yourself? Totally fine. And we showed you in last week's session that when you pray, when you pray in the prayer of agreement, you know, or the prayer of thanksgiving, the prayer of commitment, and then, of course, today, that when you're praying for yourself or you're praying for others, you, 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 Jesus said this himself. He said that in that day, in the day in which we live now, the age of the church age, he says, you'll ask me nothing. You remember us reading that in the book of, of uh, John, I believe it was. He said in that day, in the day in which we live, you'll ask me nothing. But whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he'll give it you. So when we pray, who are we supposed to pray to? We're supposed to pray to the heavenly Father in whose name? In Jesus' name. And believing, when you know, believing, when you pray, believe you receive and you'll have, see? And uh, a lot of people are directing their prayers at the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus himself told us, there's nothing wrong with talking to Jesus. We, I talk to him every day. But when you formally go to, to pray, you know, to make a petition or a request or whatever, he said, and we've covered this, so that's why we're not looking the scripture up right now. He said to ask the Father in, in whose name? In his name, in Jesus' name, the Father will do it. And again, of course, we gave you another uh, general rule that covers all kinds of prayer. That when you pray, you need to pray in line with the Bible, in line with the Word of God. And, and remember, we looked at this last week. He said, abide in me and let my words abide in you. And then you'll ask what you, you will and you'll have it. See, And so if you're abiding in his Word, then his will will become your will. And then when you ask what you will, you're really asking what? What? He wills, you see, and then he'll, he'll back up his word. So, anyway, so having said all of that, let's get into today, today's lesson. And, and what we're going to talk about today, just for a few moments here, is talking about the number two up there, petition or supplication, praying for yourself. And then also numbers five and six up there, uh, the intercession, praying for others. And uh, then, of course, we'll include praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues. Now, when you... When you say other tongues, that a lot of times throws people off. I was raised in the Baptist church. Thank God for the Baptists. Amen. And I'm still a Baptist at heart. I'm just a Baptist that got filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in case you're visiting today, you need to understand that when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you get born of the Spirit. You understand that? You're born of the Spirit. But then I can give you one Bible example after another from the book of Acts. That once people got born again, born of the Spirit, they're, they're saved. They're on their way to heaven. Okay? Shouting a victory. But after that, there is an experience that Jesus himself referred to as being baptized with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And, of course, you see that on the day of Pentecost in Acts, the second chapter. Those folk there in the upper room, 120 of them, they'd already been born again. They'd already been born of the Spirit. But then Jesus said, he said, tarry there or wait there until you're endued with power from on high. And then when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. How many remembers that? This Acts, the second chapter. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. How many remembers that? And they spoke with tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. And then, of course, you see that throughout the book of Acts. And so as you read the Bible, Bible, you need to realize that, that, that the New Testament, after Jesus was raised from the dead, it assumes 
that we're all not only born of the Spirit, but we're baptized with the Spirit, and that we speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Do you understand that? The Bible assumes that. Now, the devil has fought other tongues, speaking tongues, he's fought that over these years, because it's, it, it's an endowment from pow, of power from on high, and the devil fights that because he doesn't want you to be filled with the power of God. Did, did you, do you understand that? And so we could talk for hours and hours and hours on, on other tongues. I'm not going to do that here today, but in case you're visiting, when you bring up the other tongues, a lot of times people get nervous, but it's thoroughly scriptural and biblical. And with that in mind, go to Romans the 8th chapter. Romans the 8th chapter. Uh, I'm a stickler for the Word of God in the Bible. We need to be turning in Scripture in, in our services. You understand that? Or, you know, when I, when I say turning in the Bible, or sometimes people have your Bible on your phone and, or your tablet, that's thoroughly fine. Or we have it on the screen up there. But I always tell you, check out the screen. Be sure the screen's in line with your Bible. Can you say Amen. And don't believe anything I or any other preacher tells you unless it lines up with the Bible. You understand that? So Romans, the 8th chapter and the 26th verse, the Apostle Paul, writing by the Spirit of God, says, Likewise, the Spirit, now that's the Holy Spirit, helps our weaknesses. Now this is, I'm reading this out of the New King James. Uh, I think the King James says infirmities, but the word, a lot of times people think that's sickness and disease, but it's not. It's likewise the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, have you ever gotten in a situation where you don't know how to pray as you should? Has anybody ever gotten there besides me? You prayed about a situation as far as you could pray, you went as far as you could, and you didn't know how to pray any further? Thank God for the Holy Ghost, because He helps Didn't it say that he helps our weaknesses? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes what? Makes intercession for us. And I've learned this about the Holy Spirit that when he takes hold with you, actually that word help there means to take hold. When he takes hold with you and and and. You get over into intercession. Remember, intercession is praying for others. You'll not only at times pray about things concerning you, but you'll pray about things concerning others as well. Anyway, if you don't know how to pray for as you, pray for something as you ought, the Spirit Himself will make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And, you know, the best way I can tell you or explain that to you is that would have to do, or the implication there would have to do with other tongues. Um, and so I'll just leave that go. There is, I have noticed this over the years, that, there, that we all, how many of you know God wants to use all of us to pray for others? Certainly he does, certainly he does. But there are some people that I've observed over the years that he does use uh, with intercession, praying for others, maybe more so than he, he, he would use other Christians. There are some folks that would, would flow more along this line. And I've already been in intercession for people where you, you just get over in the Spirit. You're praying about a situation, and you prayed as far as you can, and you, you pray in other tongues. You just get, sometimes you just start groaning in the Spirit for, for somebody, so to speak, you know, or for a situation. Thoroughly scriptural. How many of you know Jesus when he went to Lazarus' tomb? How many remembers that? Lazarus had been dead four days. And the Bible says Jesus groaned. You ought to go look it up and see if what I'm telling you is right. Jesus groaned in the Spirit, didn't he? Yeah, he did. 
Yeah, he did. But anyway, there's a place you can get in the Spirit. But anyway, this has to do with other tongues. Now look at verse 27. For he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the what? For the saints according to what? The will of God. So what I usually do when I'm praying uh, about something, whether it's for myself or others, I will pray as far as I can with my understanding in English. As far as I can, I'll I'll find scriptures concerning the thing I'm I'm praying about. And I'll hold these scriptures before the, the Lord, you know, before the Father in the name of Jesus. And pray as far as you can. In, in in the understanding, sometimes you can you can pray something, get get it get it get it done in the understanding. Sometimes you just get so far as you can go, and you don't know how to go any further. Or you've prayed about a situation so much that you just don't know how to pray about it anymore. Well, that's when the Holy Ghost will take hold with you. You see, Amen. Now notice First Corinthians the fourteenth chapter and the thirteenth verse. First Corinthians the fourteenth chapter and the thirteenth verse. The Apostle Paul. Again, writing here to the Corinthians, and this might help you just a little bit on what I said here about other tongues. He said, if I, he, he said, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, verse 14, now notice this, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Remember, when, 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 you're, when you're speaking with tongues, praying in tongues... You're, you're speaking to the to the Father, you see. And another reason the devil hates it is he can't understand it. It's it's a hev- it's it's a heavenly language between you and the Father, and the devil can't crack it, and it aggravates him. I think that's another reason he fights it so. But he says here in verse 14, "If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my understanding is unfruitful." What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit and I'll sing with the understanding. So apparently the Apostle Paul, when he was praying about a situation, there's times he'd just pray in the understanding. He'd pray pray a thing out as far as he knew to go. And then, of course, the Holy Ghost would take hold with him and he'd, he'd pray in another tongue, you see. And there were times that he'd pray in the Spirit and then sometimes the Spirit of God would give him the interpretation for it. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? Amen. Praise God. And then there's much we could, there's much we could say about that. I'll, I'll give you a personal example. I remember many years ago, I was uh, uh, 24 years old, and, and uh, the church that I attended, the leadership there, uh, thought that I was supposed to go to Bible school. And they pressured me to go and pressured me to go. How many of you know the Holy Ghost doesn't pressure anybody into anything? You need to understand this. Listen close now. And they were pressuring me to go, and I didn't have peace about it on the inside. But they pressured me and pressured me, and I was much younger than I am now. And I didn't know what I know now, that we're supposed to be led by the Spirit, not by pressure. But nonetheless, I had gone down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I walked into the math lab down, not the math lab, but the the math, the junior college, Tulsa Junior College. I walked in down there, and, uh, and the guy hired me. Because I was going to be going to Bible school there in Tulsa. And I walked into Tulsa Junior College because I need a part-time job. And I can't work normal hours, you know, because you're going to Bible school from 8 to 12. And so I needed a very specialized job where I could work in the afternoon or evenings, you know. And nonetheless, I walk into Tulsa Junior College and this fella, the, the, the director of the math department, I walked in, talked to him for a few moments, and he hired me right on the spot. 
Now that's unheard of, seeing as I don't have a master's degree, I have a bachelor's degree. And technically I really wasn't supposed to be hired, but you know if God wants you in, you get in. Is that right? Did you hear me? And so I walk in, the guy hires me. Well, uh, so I, I, I come back to St. Louis, and, but I still didn't have peace in my heart. Didn't have peace in my heart about going. And, uh, and, and long story short, as it, as, it, as it turned out, I didn't go. I didn't, I didn't go. And uh, the church that I was attending, they were just beating me over the head. You're missing God. 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 And I was just feeling horrible. And so I remember, and then I had to call that guy down there that just hired me. I called him and I said, you know what? And when I was with him, I told him there was an outside chance I might not be able to accept the position. And so I called him and uh, he, uh, I, I respectfully declined a position. And, and he wasn't all too happy about it. And understandably, I didn't break my word with him. I just, because I told him there's an outside chance I might not be able to come. But I was feeling horrible. I'm back here in St. Louis. And I'm up there at the, you remember the Crestwood Mall? How many remembers Crestwood Mall? It's torn down now. Who'd ever thought that'd be torn down? But it's torn down now. But I just come out of the mall. I got, because I was feeling horrible, walked around the mall just praying, you know, got in my car. I'm driving. I just left the mall. And I'm praying in the Spirit in other tongues. And the Spirit of God took hold. And he began to help me, and I began to speak out in other tongues. Just, it, it went from praying in tongues to like a message in tongues, just me in the car. And I began to interpret then. So I see, sometimes the Spirit of God will give you an, interpret, an interpretation. And, and here was the interpretation. It said, the year will come and go. I'll set everything back up for you just like I did this time, only when the year has come and gone, things will be better. Well, the year came and went. I go back down to Tulsa. I got to get that job. You think that guy is going to hire me? No. But guess what? God moved him somewhere else. And there was another guy that came into that same position. I walked in there. He hired me. He hired me sight unseen. Isn't that wonderful? He said, how is it better? Well, the next year, bless God, when I went, I took her as my wife. Can you say amen? Because I hadn't been married the year before. And I tell you what, going with her down there, how many of you know it was better than it would have been the year before? I had somebody do all my cooking for me. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm going to have to do my own cooking this afternoon now, to tell you that. Isn't Jesus wonderful? So you see, I gave you that example to show you how this works, see. And I didn't know how to pray for it, for it as I ought, see. And everything worked out just fine. Isn't, isn't that good? Isn't that wonderful? And I got a good, good job down there. Hallelujah. And, and more I could tell you about it, but for the sake of time, let's move on. Let's go to John 17 very quickly. Uh, Jesus, in John 17, Jesus... Praise for himself, then for his disciples, then for us. And we're just going to center in on the part he prayed about for us. And you can read the John 17, starting, I guess, in verse 1 on down through verse 20. He prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples that are right there with him, you know. And then he prays for us. And I, I want to just point this out because you need to see. You know, Jesus was a, he's the Lord, he's our Savior. But you know what? He was, he was a person of prayer. 100% God, 100% man. But you know what? 
he was a he, he, he was a person of prayer. And, and one time I taught on the prayer life of Jesus, and just so interesting to see how often he prayed, and what, the kinds of things he prayed about. It's just interesting, and the Scripture gives us some of the things he prayed. And here, notice in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone. He's talking about his disciples right there with him. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that would be you and me, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be you and me? Let's see what Jesus prayed about you and me. Let's see what he prayed. Verse 21, that they all may be what? One, that's talking about unity. You know, it's on the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of his, his body, his church... Operate in unity. And we saw the importance of that last week. Of being in agreement. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one with us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. You see the importance of unity? Unity. And notice verse 23. I in them, you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. Boy, he's just so, he wants us to be in unity. There's power in agreement, you see. And then he says uh, that, that the world may know that, I, that you have sent me. You see, when the world looks in at the church and they seize the church, I'm talking about the, the body of believers throughout the country, throughout the world. The world looks in and they see the church loving on one another and walking in unity, that's a great witness to the, to the sinner. Do you, you understand that? But when the sinner looks in and they see the church fighting and fussing with one another, and one minister is at odds with the minister across town, and, and, and the Baptists are fighting with the Pentecostals, and so on and so forth, how many of you know that's not a good witness to the world, is it? And you can see here that Jesus wants us to be in unity. And again, we're you know we're never going to probably agree with the with the other denominations on on things that don't mount to a hill of beans. But remember, Jesus he wants us to come into the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God. We can all agree who Jesus is that He's the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Is that right? You understand that? And, and you know we may not agree on piddly diddly things with you know things that don't amount to a hill of beans. You, you understand, not, not heaven, hell issues, but we can all agree, or should all agree, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, then we can't, and that's what the church is really, is really based and founded on, isn't it? Remember when, when Peter said, thou art the, Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? And then they said, well, one thinks you're this one, one thinks you're that one. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, you're a little rock, but on this big rock, this big rock, revelation knowledge of who I am is what I'm going to build my church. And wouldn't you say the foundation of the church is Jesus? So that's what we ought to be in agreement on, not fighting with one another. And then he says this, look at verse 23, and you've loved them as you've loved me. That's something that was on Jesus' heart. He wants you to know that the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now, the first time I, I, I got a, saw that, I just I couldn't hardly believe it. You mean God, the Father, loves me as much as he loves Jesus? Well, that's what Jesus himself said. Is that right? So, chew on that for a little bit. But I just wanted to show you that Jesus prayed for himself, and you could read that on your own time. And then he prayed for his disciples, then he prayed for us. So, with that said, go to James, the first chapter. The number one thing we should be praying for ourselves. What's the number one thing we ought to be praying for ourselves? Very good. Who said that? 
Excellent. Very good. The number one thing we ought to be praying for ourselves is found in James, the first chapter in the fifth verse, says, If any of you lacks what? Wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. So if you're taking notes, we're talking about praying for yourself and praying for others today. The number one thing you should pray for yourself is for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. If you would, and of course the proverb says that wisdom is the principal thing. And in 1 Kings the third chapter, if you would go there in the fifth verse. 1 Kings the third chapter in the fifth verse. Remember uh, God had said to Solomon... And it says it right here in 1 Kings 3, 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. How many remembers King Solomon? In a dream by night, and said, Ask, what shall I give you? And uh, in verse 9, Solomon answers and he says, Give your servant, servant a what? An understanding heart. To judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself. Did you, you see that? Nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold... I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not yet been anyone like you before, nor shall any be arise like you after, after you, and so forth. Verse 13, now watch this. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall, be not, so there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. Do you, do you, that ought to speak volumes to us right there. How many times do we see folks going around asking God for money or asking Him for this provision or that provision or this or that or the other? And what's the principal thing to ask for? Wisdom. And if you'll have that as your priority, I believe it'll please the Lord. And then, remember what he said to Solomon here in verse 13. He said, and I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor. You see that? Number one thing we ought to be praying for ourselves is asking God for wisdom. And I can tell you over all these years, over all these years, I've never asked God one time to provide for my needs. Not one time. We've asked Him for wisdom. And we've supported the work of God financially. And all of my needs over all these years, have all, all of them, every last one of them, have not only been met, but abundantly met. Isn't that wonderful? And the same thing for the church. Met, not only met, but abundantly met. Isn't that wonderful? Ask Him for what? For wisdom. Now, look at Ephesians, the first chapter. We'll just continue with this theme here. I think it'll, it'll be interesting to you. 
the Apostle Paul was praying for the Christians at Ephesus. And it's something that he prayed for them, but it's also something that we should pray for ourselves. I'm convinced of it. There's no reason why we couldn't. First, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 15. Notice what he says here. Now, Paul, the apostle, by the Spirit of God, is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he says this. Therefore, I also, after I heard your faith, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that the main thing, that somebody's born again? They have faith in the Lord Jesus. He said, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So did he pray for these people? Yes or no? Did you, do you see the prayer of thanksgiving in there? Well, we talked about that last week, the prayer of thanksgiving. And then notice this. So, so he hears of their faith in the Lord Jesus. And then, in verse 17, notice what he says as he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the what? The spirit of what? Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice he's not praying for these people's salvation. What's he praying for them to have? Wisdom and Revelation. That's what we need to be asking God for. Wisdom. How to handle a situation. Our situations. And for Him to reveal His Word to us. How many of you know His Word is infinite? And you can read the same Scripture and we can be reading the same verses for, from now to forever. And, and there's still more to learn from each one of them. Can you say Amen. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That's just wonderful when that happens. And that's what we all need, the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. I know more about God this year than I knew about him last year. Because I've asked him to give me wisdom and revelation that the eyes of my understanding would be enlightened. That you may know, and here's a biggie. I mean, these are all biggie, these are all big, but here's this. That you may know what is the hope of His calling. You need to know what it is God has called you to do. What has He called you to do? And right away people think, well, I'm not called to the ministry to stand in a pulpit. I I understand that. But we're all called or assigned to to do something in a local church or to do something for His kingdom. Is that correct? What is it that he's called you to do? And if you don't know, start praying this prayer for yourself and asking the Father in the name of Jesus for him to reveal it to you. And how many of you know he will? So this is good to pray for other people. And I pray this regularly. If you ever listen to me pray, uh, at times I'll get on this. And I'll uh, not only ask it for myself, that God would give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, but that the eyes of my understanding would be enlightened, that I may know what is the hope of His calling for me. And I pray that for other people as well. And frankly, if you get right down to it, 
The number one thing you can do for a person that's not saved, now listen carefully, the number one thing you can do for a person that's not saved is deal with their salvation. I'm going to show you how to do that here in just a moment. Deal with their salvation. But if somebody is saved already, how many of you know you don't have to pray about salvation? They're already saved. But the number one thing you can do is pray for them that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Let's just take somebody that's saved, but they don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do we need to pray for that person to get saved? No. We need to pray that their eyes would be, their understanding would be enlightened concerning what? The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let's just say we have somebody over here that doesn't believe that it's God's will to heal. Now, they're born again, all right. They've received Jesus. They, 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 they trust in Him, but they just don't believe it's God's will to heal. Well, we don't have to pray for that person to get saved. They're already saved. But what should we pray? The eyes of their understanding would be enlightened that they'd see the will of God concerning healing. Is that correct? Now, how many of you would say that tithing and giving is in line with the Scripture? It certainly is. But you've never... I've been doing this 20... Over 20 years now, going on 23 years, I've never once tried to convince anybody to tithe. Never one time. Not one time. I, I say very little about it. But you know, you could be born again. You could be saved, right? But don't believe in tithe. I just don't believe in that. I was under the law. Well... <laughs> Would God expect us to do less under the law than he would expect us to do under grace? And I can go on for hours and show you from the New Testament that tithing is still for today. And actually, a lot of times people think it's 10%, but I can show you it's 33 and a third percent. Well, we won't get into all that, but I could do some teaching on it. But here's the thing. If somebody doesn't believe in tithing, there's no reason to try to convince them that you won't be successful. What do you do? They're already saved. You don't have to pray about that. But you pray that the eyes of what? Their understanding would be what? Enlightened. And really you get into tithing. It's not about, if you really understand it, it's not about the preacher getting your money. It's about getting God involved in your money. And how many of you know you want God involved in your money? But that's between you and the Lord. Not between you and me. So, a prayer that we should pray for ourselves is that, and I'm going to just... Read it here that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of our understanding be enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling. That's what we ought to be praying for ourselves. And believe in God for it, you see. And we ought to be praying that for other people. Can you say amen? Now, what do you do? And, I, and, I, and, I, and I've shared this with you over the years, but it bears repetition. How many of you know repetition is a seed of learning, isn't it? And what do you do when somebody is, is not saved? How do you pray for them? What do you do? Oh, God, save so-and-so. That's a wrong way to pray. You'll see, you'll see, you won't see any results. Because, see, God, he wants that person saved more than you do. Let me give you a strategy here for praying for somebody that's lost. You need to hear this. I don't care if you've heard it before. You need to hear it again. And I'm beginning to close my message. I'll, I'll be done here in just a few moments, but I want you to get this. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Go there. Notice this. Because you see, in Ephesus, those, those people were already saved. 
So Paul said, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, so he didn't pray for their salvation. He didn't go down that road. They're already saved. He prayed that they'd have wisdom, you see. But what if somebody's lost? Well, here's what you need to realize. If you'll do what I'm about to tell you, you'll have better results in seeing people get saved. Now, you know, you can't make somebody get saved. God won't make anybody get saved because he's not going to violate their will. But this is what you can do. First of all, notice what we learn here in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who's the little g? Little g-o-d. Who is the little g-o-d of this age? That's the devil. And he's blinded. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, whose image of God, should shine on them. So if somebody's lost, if they're an unbeliever, have you ever talked to somebody and they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's almost like they got a veil over their, like, like they can't see it. Have you ever dealt with that besides me? And the more you, the more you talk to them, the more confusing the thing gets. Is that, you know, has that ever happened to anybody besides me? Well, what you do is, you just, you, just, you just love on them. You love them, love them, walk in love. But what you do, and you don't even have to do this where they can hear it. Just do it in your private prayer time. But you, 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 that, you remember that declaration of faith we taught you three, two weeks ago? You don't ask God to do anything about the spiritual blindness. What you do is you speak to the, you speak to the devil, you speak to the, that spiritual blindness that's on their spiritual understanding. You speak to that and you pull that down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you, did you get that? That's what you do. That's what you do first. You take authority over that spiritual blindness and pull that down. You deal with that. Until, you, until that's dealt with, you can preach to them and talk to them until you're blue in the face and it's, not, it's going to do very little good. And then what you do after you've taken authority over that spiritual blindness, then look at Matthew the ninth chapter in the 37th verse. Matthew the ninth chapter in the 37th verse. And Jesus, he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Notice the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So once you pull down that spiritual blindness, what do you do? You ask the Father in the name of Jesus to send the perfect laborer or laborers across that person's path to share Jesus with them in due season. Can you say amen to that? Now, if you'll do that, you'll get better results. I remember a particular family member that I'm thinking of right now. Um, um, do you know a lot of times we're not the perfect laborers for our, for our immediate family? Did you know that? And the person I'm thinking of, see, when I was a little kid, I was, I was a sassy mouth, smart mouth. Spoiled little, I mean, I made Dennis the Menace look like Shirley Temple. I mean, I did, I mean, it was just, I was not fun to be around. And I was a cheater, I'd cheat, I'd cheat, and I cheated old maid. And I'd mark the back of the old maid, 
on, if you've never played Old Maid, you ought to look it up and see. But I marked the back of the Old Maid, and I'd always beat my grandma at Old Maid. And she gets so angry because she didn't know how I was beating her every time. But I had the back of the card marked, you see. And she she had a, she walked on a cane, you know. And when she'd get mad at me, she'd grab me around the neck with that cane, you know, and pull me up to her and had some choice things to say to me. She was born again, all right. She's gonna I'm going to see her in heaven one of these days, and she's going to talk. Well, the blood of Jesus has taken care of that, hasn't? Thank God. But I've repented. And I'm not the same person I was when I was a kid. But did you know a lot of my family members still, when they look at me to this day, they don't see me. I'm talking to my family members, see. They don't see me as having been born again and changed. They still see that smart-mouthed little kid that cheats at old maid. Hmm? And... uh I'm just not the perfect laborer to share Jesus with my immediate family. Now, now I have different ones. I have talked to them. But general, by and large, there's a lot of them. If I go to them to tell them about Jesus, they're not going to listen to me. You get what I'm saying? That doesn't mean you shouldn't share Jesus with your immediate family. You need to be led. Realize, say, be led. Be led by the Spirit. But there's some of them, if I went to them, right, there's a couple of them I'm thinking of. If I went to their house to share Jesus with them this afternoon, I'd get the door slammed in my face. Because they still see me as a little kid that cheated at old maid. So what do you do? You take authority, and I've done this, you take authority over that spiritual blindness and pull it down. And then you ask God to send somebody that they will listen to across their path. Did you get what I just said? Now, that might have been worth coming to church for just to get that, what I just told you right there. And I did that with a certain family member of mine who was facing death. And the man I knew wasn't saved. I knew if I went to him, he's not going to listen to me. So we did this for him. And we trust that before he breathed his last breath that he, he got saved. I can just, I did all I could. See, we need to know how to pray. People's lives hang in the balance. Not only their lives here on the earth. How many of you know you can pray for somebody and and, and actually pray and, and, and intercede for them and you can save their life? I mean, you can keep, you can prevent an accident or you can prevent something from happening. Did you hear what I just said? We've done that over the years on several occasions, certainly. But it also has eternal ramifications because what I just told you right now is priceless because you'll have a better result seeing people get saved. Did you hear me? So what's the first thing you do if somebody's lost? You pull down that spiritual blindness. And then the second thing, you ask the Father in the name of Jesus to send a perfect laborer. Now sometimes you are the laborer for somebody. And sometimes you are the laborer for... Like in my, in my family, I was the laborer for my mother. And I was able to share Jesus with her. And she got saved before she, before she passed and went to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? So sometimes you are the perfect laborer. Sometimes you are. But a lot of times you're not. So you just need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. You okay? You alright? So I'm not saying you should never share Jesus with your family. You, you should, but... but but be led because sometimes they're not going to listen to you because they, they don't like you very much or whatever the case. 
Does any, am I the only one that has family? You're looking at me funny. Am I the only one that has family members that, that, that you all have family too, don't you? I mean. Okay. Let's close in 1 Timothy, the second chapter, and then we're going to have a brief time of prayer, and then we'll dismiss. We'll put a few of these things into practice. Just briefly. won't keep you too long. Are you glad you came today? Well, it's worth coming to hear the Word of God, isn't it? Let's close right here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, the Holy Spirit through Paul, and he says, he says this. This is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore I exhort, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, would the president fall in that category? Okay. Now why? He tells us that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now watch this, verse 4. Ties it all together, what I've been talking to you about. Who desires all men to, first of all, be what? Be saved. So that's how you would, that would be a good prayer strategy, first of all. Is deal with somebody's salvation. And then once that's dealt with, what's the next thing? That they might come to what? To the what? To the knowledge of the truth. And that gets back into praying that they would have wisdom and revelation. And the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That they may know what God wants them to do and so forth. Did you get that? Did you see in verse 4, first, the first thing in prayer is deal with somebody's salvation. And then secondly, what? To come to the knowledge of the truth. Now with that in mind, stand with me if you would. And next week we'll pick up with another subject as the Lord leads and move, move, move on down the road as he directs. But let's just close with a time of prayer. Just, just, just a few minutes here.